0: to all the cake mix connoisseurs, bedside chefs, and amateur taste testers. Welcome home. My name is Jay and I'm the owner of the Jay Spot, a little small baby bakery that I run out of my kitchen right here in Richmond, Virginia. And this is my podcast, Dope, where I will walk you through tips, tricks, recipes, and real life conversations about baking, relationships, Pop culture, and just a little more Beyonce than you would ever care to hear about. So, welcome to episode two. Mm, no it's the third episode. It's for sure the third episode. Wow. That was awkward. Let me start over because that was just ragged. Welcome to the third installment of Dope. Wow. Am I even qualified to host a podcast? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I am. So I was kind of sort of debating on this episode. I've had a very long week. Last week, and we'll get into that in just a second, but I kind of sort of figured that I would host um, sort of like a bonus episode or if I should put this episode out there to build upon that and then the bonus episode. So we played back and forth with that for quite some time if we're being fully honest. In fact probably way more time than we should have uh, because it's Thursday at seven thirty in the morning and this episode is supposed to drop allegedly on Friday. So if that lets you know how long I've been going back and forth with this concept now you know. But how have you guys' this weeks been? Do you all think that We'll be ready for summer when it comes around like everyone's saying because everyone's like oh summer 2021 like it's gonna be a movie like coronavirus it's like do y'all just think that like the fog of coronavirus lifts in 2021 do you guys just think that like oh just because we said we want a party in 2021 COVID's gonna be like you know what you're right I have overstayed my welcome let me just get my things I don't think that's how that works. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an environmentalist. I don't study large crowds or do research. like I literally just sit here and host this podcast. I feel like there's still a lot of steps that we need to work towards in order to be unleashed into the world. Because like I said, I plan on going to Spain. And if you guys listened to the first episode, you know what I plan on doing in Spain when I get there. So I'm all for, you know, unleashing myself onto the world, but it's like, is it, is it safe? Like, is it time? Like, can can we do that? It would be so great to get back to life as we knew it. But I think that life as we knew it is drastically different now. Life as we knew it is just not a thing anymore. I feel like COVID and everything to do with COVID has taught us that like a lot of the systems that we as Americans have put in place are just not effective. And it has showed the flaws in our systems that it's just not as effective as some would have thought or as we were told to believe. Because you're telling me I could have had to go margaritas this whole time and y'all just said no? Like Virginia's ABC stores are weird. Because apparently in some places, they're open till like midnight or like two in the morning or three. So, you know, like regular business hours. But in Virginia, they close at like 8 p.m. At 8 p.m. I'm still getting ready to go to the function. So earliest I'll be at the ABC store is like 830. And y'all said you're not coming in. What? My week last week was like low-key, high-key exhausting. In fact, it was exhausting. I was extremely tired from all of the things, from the weather to life. Like the girl was burnt out. She was burnt out. But we're trying to get better at uh, A, not getting to the point of exhaustion, and B, finding better ways to rest. So we're going to be talking about that resting period in a future episode. But yeah, how are you guys' weeks going? What have you been up to? This is the third installment, which is super exciting because honestly, I rarely commit to anything. So the fact that we made it three whole episodes, um, I would like to give myself a special shout out. Jay. I'm so proud of you for making it three days into something for the first time since that time you tried tap dancing and then that time you tried baton twirling and then that other time you tried Girl Scouts, but mainly for the cookies. So last week we discussed a lot of different things. Last week was jam-packed with my little TED Talks, I guess, and packed full of information for recipes and stuff like that. Last week we discussed living in the past and how it can be very harmful to live in the past because we don't really know those people anymore. Like the me who I was at 16 versus the me who I was at 19 and then the me I was at 21 and even now at 24, they're all different people and I acknowledge that I love those people but I would never want to be them again. We discussed how reinventing yourself is a beautiful thing. When you don't live in the past and you just simply acknowledge the past and acknowledge the previous versions of yourself, it allows for you to reinvent yourself easier. It's okay to not want to be who you were yesterday. It's okay to not want to be who you were three days ago. It's okay to reinvent yourself going into college. It's okay to reinvent yourself when you're starting a new job. It's okay to reinvent yourself at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday just because you feel like it. And that's just what it is. Nobody else can define that for you. Nobody else can define who you are to yourself. So giving yourself grace and accepting yourself in all versions and acknowledging who you used to be and that you want to be different, that's nobody's business but your own. We also discussed something near and dear and close to my heart, which is drunk baking. I love drunk baking, maybe more than I should, if we're being honest. In fact, quite honest, it's kind of like a, like a hobby at this point. But we discussed uh, the the science behind uh, alcoholic baking. We discussed the different properties of uh, baking with alcohol and how it's a lie and it's a myth when people say that all the alcohol bakes out because not the way we do it. Just a reminder, when you are baking or cooking with alcohol, anywhere between 4% and 95% of the alcohol stays in whatever you're making. So if you make it right, you're going to have a great night, okay? That's, that's a J Life tip. You're going to get plenty of those, but that's the first one. I talked about my experiences working in a bakery, and don't worry, I have plenty more of those because that was, what a time to be alive, am I right? Lastly, we discussed who is your competition and what are you competing for, in a sense, and that when you don't define success for yourself, that invites others to define it for you. This week we're discussing imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is this term that describes feeling like you're a fraud in an environment that you don't belong there, that you were not good enough to be a part of it, that you're not that you're not successful enough to handle the journey ahead, that all your accolades don't actually matter because it was a mistake that you got there in the first place. A lot of people feel inadequate or feel unworthy of the tasks at hand, whether it's necessarily imposter syndrome or not. When you step into new opportunities, you're stepping into the unknown and it's human nature to be sort of not necessarily fearful of the unknown but anxious of what's inside of the unknown like you don't necessarily know if this is like the best fit for you or you're nervous about the responsibilities ahead it's normal to question like your abilities right like can I do this is this okay for me to do this should I be doing this but I feel like it becomes more so imposter syndrome when you say to yourself I'm not meant to be in the space that I'm currently in I do not belong in the space that I'm currently in. My work is not good enough for me to be in the space that I'm currently in. I feel like that's when that's imposter syndrome. And I feel like that happens for a lot of different reasons. I feel like sometimes it can be like the self-doubt and the pressure of stepping into the void and stepping into the unknown can cause a lot of anxiety. I am no stranger to that. I... Get anxious all the time doing things that like I normally do in my everyday routine. But like stepping into something new is brave. Taking a new job and starting over is... Starting over is brave, okay? Starting over in any aspect, in any area of life is very brave. But aside from that, I feel that minorities, so people of color and women and, and members of the LGBTQ community we experience that more often. We experience that at a higher rate. And I feel that it's because we are now in these spaces that A, weren't created for us, B, didn't necessarily want us there, and C, make it hard as hell to get into. When you think of like corporate America, or even like certain jobs, or roles, or responsibilities, or um, pursuing certain career fields, or artistic fields, or a lot of different fields, the way that they are structurally now was not originally built for people of color. It was not built for women. It was not built for people that have a disability. It was not built for people that identify as something other than heteronormative, right? And that's very much so the way most of the world works, right, like you see buildings with no off-ramps and you're like, this is not functional for somebody with a disability. Like this is very much a flaw in our system that some buildings just don't have elevators or some buildings just don't have off-ramps or on-ramps or some buildings aren't accessible to people with disabilities. Like there's so many different things about this world that aren't functional for people that are minorities so when you're talking about these certain spaces and these certain places they weren't built with us in mind which is why i feel like we feel less than and inadequate when we get into these spaces because they were never intended for us to be there now we still gonna get in because that's on period i also feel like it's really hard to get into these spaces, right? There, There's often this talk of a seat at a table. What does that mean? Getting a seat at the table means that I have not just like a physical place to be, but it's that I have a say in something. And I feel like a lot of minorities and a lot of minority groups don't have that. Where it's like, I don't have a seat at the table. I don't have a physical place where I feel welcome, but also with that seat at the table comes my ability to voice my opinion in a safe place, my ability to not be overlooked or overheard. We don't get that. And it's so hard to get into these spaces because being a minority, you have to fight tooth and nail for for the same opportunities as your white counterparts, as your male counterparts. Our work has to be so much better than that of our peers. And it's frustrating. Being a minority is fighting super, super hard to get in line at the front door to then fight again to make a reservation, right? So you're just standing off in the corner watching everybody dine and everybody have open conversations and have these discussions about certain things. And it's like, well, I have something valuable to offer and I have something valuable to say if I could just get in the door. And I feel like that's where the imposter syndrome comes in. It's normal to have self-doubt, but I feel like the imposter syndrome a lot of times comes from these spaces not being accessible. Okay, I know this is a baking podcast and we gonna get to baking in a second and that's cute or whatever, but this is something that actually needs to be discussed and talked about. So I feel like imposter syndrome stems from a lack of representation a lot of times because if I don't see myself in this company or in this field, it's going to be a lot harder. So I'm super thankful for the people that like paved the way for a lot of these movements, a lot of these companies, a lot of these um, career fields and career paths. I feel that you cannot say you are diverse until there's somebody that looks like everybody. So continue to push for efforts that acknowledge minorities Continue to push for movements that encourage minorities to speak up and speak out about the issues that are bothering them, about the things that are pressing on them, and the things that are hindering their shared experiences. In the spirit of imposter syndrome, I figured it was only right that we discuss cake mix. Here's the thing. Last week, we also discussed baking versus cooking and all the things that qualify as cooking. Using boxed mix is just as valid. People are like, oh, if you use boxed mix... You're not an actual baker. That's a f- that's lies, okay, and that's slander. And if you can sue them for emotional distress, I'd recommend it. I'm just going to say I'm not a lawyer either, so I can't give legal advice. But they'd have some words for me. That's all I'm going to say. The invention of box cake mix revolutionized baking, and it changed the way that we see baking today. We are going to get into the history of box mix, and I'm going to give you my favorite tips and tricks and ways to get box mix to taste like you made it from scratch. Like you were in the kitchen from sunup to sundown beating pots and pans. Like Cake Boss was coming in tomorrow, okay? That's how they're going to be. I've passed off many box cakes as my own. I have. And you know what? I'm not ashamed. I'll do it again. In fact, I might do it again this week. There's many theories as to how box mix actually came about, and most of them are not right. So I'm going to debunk those myths. So it was thought that Box Mix first came about after World War II, which if you think about it, would make sense, right? All these companies that had to mass produce for war now no longer have to mass produce. Some people thought that it came about in the 1930s after this company invented a patent for it. That's sort of right, but not entirely true either. So it dates back even farther than the 1930s. So in 1837, almost 100 years prior a food manufacturer and chemist by the name of Alfred Bird made a corn flour based powder that you can add warm milk to and heat it through. So sort of like an early version of Jiffy's cornbread mix if you think about it like that but that lacked a lot of substantial ingredients. Then in 1889 Pearl Mining Company launched Aunt Jemima which that's a long story and we're gonna get into that on a different day. But they came up with the pancake mix that you just add water to. So the pancake mixes that a lot of us grew up with that you just add water to and you're done. Now what revolutionized these early cake mixes and turned them into something that we now know and love today was actually a company by the name of P. Duff and Sons. They created a patent that would allow them to use dehydrated flour and powdered egg. The first official, as we've come to know it, cake mix was started by P. Duff and Sons using gingerbread recipes. They created a a gingerbread mix using dehydrated flour, powdered egg, molasses, sugar, salt, baking soda, and spices. Some of their earliest varieties included nut bread, bran muffins, but like if you're living in the 1930s, I guess that's kind of like all you have to look forward to spice cake, and devil's food cake, and they sold for only 21 cents a can. Three years later, in 1933, P. Duff and Sons invented a new recipe and got that patented that would allow them to use fresh eggs. So it is true, though, that cake mixes did not take off until after World War II. By the end of the 1940s, over 200 companies were putting out cake mixes, including that of Betty Crocker, Duncan Hines, and Pillsbury. Business halted again back in the 1950s, but it soon picked up again with the use of icing. Yes, icing. Soon marketers and advertisers were advertising these icing, showing people that they can create their own bakery-style cakes at home, which then also led them to marketing the tubs of frosting that you now see in the grocery store right alongside of the box mix. So something that I found interesting when I was researching all this, was something really interesting happened in 1951. So in 1951, food chemist by the name of Arlie Andre invented Duncan Hines cake mix with the addition of the fresh eggs, of course. But here's the thing. In just a few weeks, Duncan Hines controlled half of the entire cake market. In a market of over 200 companies, they controlled half of it. It got so crazy that they sold the box mixes to Procter & Gamble in 1956, so just five years later, then Arlie Andre retired in the mid-1960s. That's crazy. That's wild to me. So in the span of a decade, you launch this crazy cake business, sell it, retire, and then 50, 60, 70 years later, me, a makeshift Betty Crocker, a backdoor Duncan Hines, A phony Pillsbury, okay, can come to your grocery store and just pick up these mixes and take them home and finesse them. Cake mix has revolutionized baking. Some bakeries also use cake mix. Not every single bakery makes every single thing from scratch because it's not as cost efficient. It's not as timely. If somebody already did the hard work of of measuring it out and weighing it and scooping it and figuring out the exact ratios it needs and I just have to add two dozen eggs and like some butter... And then that's it. And I can mass produce 30 cakes in the time that it would take me to make one or two. Yes, I'm going to do it. And that's the thing. It's not cheating. It's also not your business. It's not. It changed what baking means to people. Call it lazy baking. I call it finesse. We're just different people. You'll understand when you get to my level. But I am going to teach you guys my tips and my tricks on how to get your box cake mix to taste like it came out of somebody's bakery. Like it, ca- like you were up at the ass crack of dawn, mixing, sifting, whisking. Like you came out of battle with just an apron and a wooden spoon. Okay, that's how I'm going to hook this up for you so when you are using cake mix there are so many different brands of cake mix out there and i'm sure you might have your favorites or some you're more inclined to using i'm going to tell you this right now and this this is the hill that i will die on there's not many hills i'm willing to like risk my life over but this one is the one okay in terms of like box mix if you are a fan of brownies take yourself to the nearest whole foods and get the 365 brownies When I tell you nothing else matters, I mean it. That's like the only thing I refuse to make from scratch because they got it down. They did the work for me, so I don't have to. But I'm going to tell you guys how to make your box cake mix everything you need and more. And this is just for cake mixes. This is not for like muffin mix or cookie mix. Those have different ratios, different ingredients. Cake mixes are also more common. So I'm going to just put y'all in game to those. So, with your cake mix, you're going to add additional eggs. I would start off by adding one extra egg, but you can go up to three extra eggs. I'm not going to knock you. I'm not going to hold you. So, adding more eggs adds extra fat to your mixture. It also allows for things to be richer, and it creates an overall better taste and a much denser texture. So, more like a bakery-style cake. And I know you're probably like, I don't want my cake to be, like, super dense. It's not that it's tougher. It's just a little more compact. So density isn't a bad thing. Usually cake mixes tell you to add oil. This time around, you're going to add butter. Now oil and butter do very different things, okay, which we will get into in a a different episode. But you're going to use butter for its richness and for its texture as well. It adds a really beautiful buttery flavor that is going to send you straight to the heavens you're going to use milk over water again like we said it's a richness it's a texture adding all these extra fats right because water is void of fat oil like a vegetable oil is a very different type of compound and a very different fat like I said we'll get into it later and adding additional eggs eggs are super high in fat and so adding all of these fats alters the texture of your box mix it allows it to taste less like box and more like actual cake you know like sometimes those box mixes be tasting like the box they came in like it's like you taste it and it's like this tastes. is yes it's cake but it also tastes like cardboard it's like did you make this cake on a piece of cardboard or no you didn't you made it like inside your house but it still tastes like the box that it came in because it's the box that it sat in for like weeks at a time oh it still tastes like that okay No, so you want to add all of these fats to change the texture and to add more flavor to your box mix. That way it tastes less like box and more like actual cake. You're going to add in some vanilla extract. Vanilla extract is a flavoring tool. It's a great way to change and alter the texture because yes, it is a little bit of alcohol. That's the alcohol that bakes out. Don't worry. It's a great flavoring tool, so it adds more balance to your overall cake mix. But here's where it gets good, okay? So get out your pen, get out your paper, get out your notes app, because we're about to get into it. So if you're making something with chocolate cake, I would recommend that that you warm your milk first. Because heat allows for cocoa powder to bloom. Yeast activates with warm liquid and sugar or sometimes just warm liquid. That's how it is with cocoa powder. Cocoa powder blooms and activates so much better, and you get a much more chocolatey, richer flavor by adding warm liquid to it. Also pick up some instant pudding. Instant pudding changes the game, okay? I don't know who invented instant pudding. I didn't ask, but I might just write them a letter when we're done, because the way that they've changed the game, like, are you kidding me? So instant pudding adds, so instant pudding adds a different, level of flavor. A whole different ballpark of flavor. So for vanilla cake, you can use, of course, vanilla pudding. For red velvet cake, you can use cream cheese pudding. For chocolate, you can use chocolate for carrot cake. You can use, I don't know, so I don't eat carrot cake. I refuse. Um I have a vendetta against carrot cake. I do. So if you subscribe to this podcast because you're like one day she's gonna do a carrot cake recipe, that's false. I will never I have something personal against carrot cake. I also have something personal against German chocolate cake. Don't ask me what it is. I quite couldn't tell you. So for red velvet cake, you're going to add a tablespoon or two more of cocoa powder. And for chocolate cake, you're going to add coffee. It's more so for richness. Coffee and chocolates pair beautifully together I would know I spent a whole semester living off of just iced coffee and chocolate bars. We'll discuss that in a different episode too. Coffee adds to the richness of chocolate. So you're not going to taste the actual coffee. It can be instant. All right, you can warm up some coffee and just pour it in there as your liquid substitute. Next, you can add some sour cream. Like I said, more fats equals more richness. You don't want to make it overly rich, but like a tablespoon or two, no more than a fourth of a cup really changes the game lastly, another thing that you can do is cake mixes don't necessarily require you to mix and blend the cakes the way that they should. When mixing cake, you really want to incorporate air in there. So if you're mixing vanilla cake, it should be a shade or two, maybe three, lighter than what you started with. And that's how you need to stop mixing. But whip it for two to three minutes and that incorporates extra air into it. So if you're worried about density and your cake being too dense, whipping your cake for a little bit longer... Allows it to be super extra light, super extra fluffy. So, those are my tips on how to get your box cake to taste like actual cake and less like tree bark. Okay, so I've been taking questions on Instagram I need to find a better way to get these questions and to like actually answer them so that way people don't think that I ignored them like I got your question we're just waiting for the next episode of dope to air that way you'll get your question answered if that makes sense we're gonna figure it out this is only episode three so we got until episode 14 three 14 minutes is nine that's not right That is not right. 11. Wow. Wow. See, this is why I'm not a math major, y'all. Because like, are you kidding me? Wow. Maybe I should go back to school. That was disappointing. I need a moment to reflect. That was, like, if I had said 10, I would have been okay. But like, 9? That was embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. So the first question that I'm going to answer, someone asked, have you always been super into baking or is this like a new thing? So yes and no. I think I sort of answered a question similar to this one in the very first episode, the need to know, recommend you go listen to that. I started baking really, really young. So like six, seven ish. Um, And then in high school, I would bake a lot. I did a whole bunch of cookie boxes during the holidays and like Valentine's Day. And like I would give them to friends or like teachers or whatever. Then I stopped baking for a little bit. Like I still baked, but that's because I worked in a bakery though. So it's like yes, I still bake and do stuff, but it's like I've been doing this all day and then I've been dealing with customers in the suburbs. But no, um I worked at a bakery and I started baking more so when I knew I was going to quit. <laughs> and like we've been hitting the ground ever since and that was like a year ago, a year this time. So someone asked, the best kind of filling for cream puffs and eclairs? The French really, they know what they're doing, okay? When it comes to revolutions and pastries, they've got it on lock. If a revolution ever comes where we need pastries, that's where I'll be. In France. Fighting for the cause, okay? I don't really care what cause it is, but if they're like, hey, can you stop by the store and get pastries? Are you kidding me? I'm on the front lines. So cream puffs and eclairs are essentially the same thing. They're made from the exact same type of paste. It's just eclairs are the long skinny ones and cream puffs are like the short stubby ones that are kind of sandwiched together. So you can fill it with many different things. It's just the classic eclair is filled with custard. So a custard is this really thick, really creamy pudding-like consistency. It's thicker than pudding, actually. It's like we're pudding meets a jello, right? It's got that nice jiggle, that nice bounce to it. But it's made using a ton of egg yolks, milk, and sugar. And it's just whisked together. Cream puffs. Love a good cream puff, okay? I stan. But cream puffs can be stuffed with custard and or whipped cream, like a nice, lightly sweetened whipped cream. I've seen them where they're stuffed with like lemon curd, Um, Both are totally acceptable for me. I love all of the above, okay? If you wanted to make a chocolate custard, you could. If you wanted to fill it with, like, raspberry jam, you could. So you can get wild with the fillings, and it still constitutes as an eclair or it still constitutes as a cream puff because they're the exact same base. But I would recommend using a classic custard or just a simple, lightly sweetened whipped cream, So I had this amazing pleasure of talking to this group of teenagers a few days ago and it was really great, it was really fun, we had a great time. And I talked to them about working in public media, about being an alleged college graduate, I talked to them about this podcast and baking and so many different other things. But I wanted to share that information with you all um, because I feel like it's really, really important, especially being a minority in majority spaces, I feel like it's not one thing or one notion we have to subscribe to. I don't think you should ever box yourself in. You are not a monolith. Not one set thing describes you. There's not one identity that defines you. Whether you are a student or a teacher or a learner, an artist, a strategist, business person, a content creator, or all these other different things that can be used to define a person. You're also a friend, a mentor to somebody out there. You are so many different things that not just one thing defines you. The same with your gifts and your abilities and the talents that you possess. I don't think you should ever shy away from those things. I don't think they're ever too much. Like there's never too many resources for you to tap into when it comes to yourself. I believe in being a yes and. If someone said to me, hey Jay, you're a baker, right? Yes. And I also do this. Yes. And I can also do that. And I believe that with understanding what you're good at and understanding what you're passionate about, your gifts will make room for you, even in the smallest of ways, right? Like the way that you interact with people is a gift. The way that you talk to people is a gift. The way that you analyze problems is a gift. Like we're all So gifted with so many different things. So, to be like, I have to ascribe to this one notion would be a disservice to yourself. If I said to myself, I'm only going to focus on my photography and I'm never going to bake again, that would be a disservice to myself. I'm not just a photographer. I'm not just a writer. I'm not just a person that likes to talk on a podcast, right? Like, I do so many other things. And I feel like that's how a lot of people are, you can be a yes and person. And I believe that your gifts will open up opportunities for you. And I believe that who you are as a person will open up opportunities for you, whether it's um, a full-time job or starting your own business, or whether it's just a whole new experience that you never thought would happen. I believe that that can open up doors for you. And when you get into that door, which you will, when you get that opportunity, which you will, And when you get a seat at that table, or if you have to make your own table, just know that you were built for it. I have these sayings in my room that I look at when I first wake up and as I'm just sitting and reading or as I'm going about my day and one of the phrases is, you were built for this. Now, whatever that this is, I don't know. I just know that I have it in me to do it, whatever it is. Whatever door that needs to be broken down, whatever task or obstacle that I'm facing in the current moment, I know I was built for it, built to overcome it. I just want you guys to know that you were built for it. So whatever rooms you find yourself in and you're like, I shouldn't be here, you were built for it. Whatever opportunities come your way and you say, I can't do this. The fear of the unknown is is weighing on me too much. It's too heavy. I can't do it. You were built for it. When you find yourself in these spaces and someone dares to try and tell you that you don't belong there, that there's no room for you there, just know that you were built for it. And that room, that table, was built for you too. Dope was written and produced by me, Jay. Music was produced by my friend, Diego Lainez. You can find him on Instagram at Diego Grit. That's D-I-E-G-O-G-R-I-T. For more information, head on over to jspot.com. That's J-A-I-S-P-O-T dot And follow us on Instagram at the underscore j That's T-H-E underscore J-A-I-S-P-O-T. Dope premieres every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.